morning, everyone. Um, while Celeste was sharing and Rudo was uh, praying, I got the, this is old hymn, and I almost asked Eugene to sing it, um, and I know that he will. Um, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And I was just reminded of the simplicity of that, that the God who knows the future, the God who holds the future, also holds us. Um, and then because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And that's good news, right? That's good news. All right. I think we should maybe do that first song again, and then Jonathan, you can come and dance and show us what it looks like to have the moves on God's great dance floor. Uh, I know that Kate is British, so I use the proper English. Um, but uh, this morning, we have an open topic, and uh, that sometimes is more difficult because we have quite a big Bible to preach from. And, um, but there's this belief system called agnosticism, which means that there is a higher power, but it's impossible to know him or it personally. So yes, there is a being, but we do not get to know that being personally. But as Christians, we believe that God reveals himself. God is knowable. And he's knowable because he chooses to make himself known. Now, God reveals himself through nature. He reveals himself through what is written on our hearts. He reveals himself in the Old Testament through the prophets. He reveals himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And then also God reveals himself through his word. And this morning we're going to be lingering on a theme of um, revelations or, um, what's the, what does it say? Reflections on God. Um, and the thing I want to reflect on this morning, and we sang about this this morning as well, is that God is love. All right, we had a lot of love songs this morning. Okay, who of you have a favorite love song? You have a favorite love song, you just don't want to raise your hand in church. I don't have chocolates. Um, and um, so love is quite a powerful theme, right? Um, a lot of movies and all of those things, where, like even the guys watch romantic comedies, um, even though we know the plot line from the beginning, we still sit through the end because there's love. Um, so, love. Now, uh, my wife and I, we love camping. And this past weekend, we went camping with our son for the first time. So he's now in Khalaif. Um, what is He's been baptized into camping. That's what we say, right? It's not a cult. Um, only, uh, it's only a cult if you're not part of it. But if you're part of it, it's culture. Okay, so, um, but we went camping with my oldest sister and their four children. Uh, so this was now also the first time that their children would see Yevan for the first time. And um, it's a little bit of a darker picture, but there on the bottom left is Yevan. Um, and then holding him is his eldest cousin called Liam. There is uh, Leah. Then this little redhead here in the, in the front is Linka. And then here to the right is Leonay, and their surname is Leroux. All right. And then at the back, I don't know him. It's one of the people that camp next to us. Um, but that is our camping bed. And this is Riet sitting with four children we know, our child, and one child we don't know. <laughs> but that's camping, right? But it was so precious for me the way that they were affectionate towards their cousin that they just met. The next picture... So this is now Leonay. She's about almost three years old. So she's the youngest of the four. 
But she was super interested in Evan, like wanting to know where he is, how's he doing, every now and then, if he's not there, where is Evan, can she go and look at him? She wants to hold him, she wants to feed him, even though she can't yet, but we made a plan. Um, but this one um, late afternoon, I said to Leonay, uh, listen, we're going to put Evan to bed, he's going to go sleep now. So she says, um, okay, good night, Evan, I love you, Evan. Uh, and in that moment, my heart melted, that this little almost three-year-old who just met her cousin for the first time, out of the purity of her heart, just says, I can sleep for you, Evan. I love you. Um, and that just really stuck with me. He loves me too. Uh, that really just stuck with me, because um, love is something that's important to all of us. And for my wife and I, for our son to know that he is deeply loved is incredibly important to us. So whenever we get an opportunity, we want to make sure that he knows that he is loved. Um, when I'm sitting with my night routine, whether it's 11, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, uh, and whether he is awake, semi-awake, semi-asleep, or fully asleep, I would use the opportunity to speak into his soul to say, you are loved. You are deeply, deeply loved. And I don't want him to ever question or doubt whether he is loved by his mother and his father. Now, love is, like I said, is important. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but they've actually done studies to determine what the effect is on you when you hear and know that you are loved. So I want to read a couple of for you quickly. Um, what it releases on your brain is dopamine, which plays an important part with your body's functions, movement, uh, memory, Pleasure, reward, motivation. Your oxytocin levels are boosted. Oxytocin? I'm a doctor. Not really. Your oxytocin levels are boosted. And listen to this. It boosts feelings of attachment, safety, and trust. So when you hear and know that you are loved, you feel safer. You feel that you belong. You feel that you are um, accepted. There's a security element added to it. It increases your willingness to sacrifice. Um, we love waking up in the middle of the night as dads, right? Um, it causes you to have less stress. Praise Jesus. I am loved. I am deeply loved. You are motivated more. Your, your life has meaning and purpose. It has an effect on your body. It improves your mental health. You live longer. And it reduces the risk of heart disease. And then finally, Knowing and hearing that you are loved can inspire personal growth and self-improvement. And we hear these phrases like, you make me want to be a better person, right? And that's the effect of love. There's a slogan that says that love is the most powerful force. Love is the strongest force because it can motivate people to do things they never thought possible. It can turn ordinary people into heroes, a silent individual into an advocate, and a small act into a world-changing event. That's the power of love. And here's the thing, God created you and me with an um, internal need to be loved and accepted. So God fashioned and designed us that way. You have a legitimate need to be loved and accepted. Legitimate, because God placed it inside of you, but you will search the rest of your life until you satisfy God's legitimate need to be loved and accepted, but we often look for it in illegitimate ways. But God designed you with the capacity and the need to be loved and accepted. 
So turn to the person next to you and tell them, but look them in the eye and say, you are loved. No one, you are loved. Right, who, you are loved. No one gets to not hear it this morning. Say it to someone else. You are loved, Rudo. You are loved. All right. If you have a phone with a camera function, you can turn it on selfie mode. You are loved. All right. You are loved. This weekend, I was stopping at Checkers. Yes, Tommy, not taking photos in church. Uh, I was stopping at Checkers to quickly just run in. And as I parked, I um, stopped next to someone sitting in a car. And I felt this overwhelming compassion in my heart. So I got out, walked away. But this, almost like a burden of compassion, didn't leave me. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll turn around. So I walked to the lady and I go up to her window. And <laughs> so she's like, okay. And I was like, listen, this will be your most random moment for today. But <laughs> I parked, felt the compassion for you, walked away. It's like, mm, need to come back. I just feel I need to tell you today that God loves you. God sees you, He cares about you, he takes, um, he takes interest in you, but God loves you. She said, thank you so much, I appreciate it. I walked away, I don't know what happened. Um, but that's that. Now, there is a catch for her in that moment, but also for every single one of us this morning. When you hear the words, God loves you, your understanding, definition, or experience of love will influence or determine how you interpret God's love for you. If you have a negative understanding or experience of love, then the term God loves you might not mean that much to you this morning. But if you have a great example or understanding of love, when someone says, hey, I love you, it does something inside of you and it can actually produce the things on your brain and in your body that it's supposed to. But we need to have the good, a right understanding of what love is. So you can open your Bible in the book of 1 John 4. This is not John 1 verse 4. This is 1 John 4. So if you go right to the end, you get to Revelation, and then you page back. Then you get to 1 John 4. So as you page there, and you can also follow on the, word, on the screen, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you choose to be with us. Lord, your word says simply that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are. And we can have confidence this morning that you choose to be in our midst. By, by your choice, Lord, and we just get to be in your presence. Father, that thought just is overwhelming because even someone who does not believe in God this morning gets to sit in his presence because God chooses to be among his people. And I pray, Lord, that this morning you will just continue to speak to us through your word. Amen. Is that this microphone or is it something else? Okay. So 1 John 4, it starts off with the phrase, God is love. So we're speaking about what is love, God is love. Okay, close your Bible, let's go home. Okay, we have to continue. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Everyone say, God is love. Everyone say, God is love. 
Whom of you um, grew up in an environment where you're not allowed to speak in church? Many of us, right? This morning, you get to speak in church. Jonathan, you grew up in an environment where you can speak in church. Everyone say, God is love. There's something powerful about the word of God. Um, I said to someone in the week, you know, often our emotions betray us. Often our emotions disconnect us from what is true. But the Bible is always true, whether you believe it or not. So even when you and I read our Bibles, and we just read it aloud, you submit your soul to what is true. It will have an effect. You might not feel it physically yet, but the Word of God is alive and active. It is powerful. It is living. It will do something inside of you. So when we declare God is love, we are also making a counter statement that nothing else is God. Nothing else is love. God is love. It's important for us to affirm and confirm what the Bible teaches to be true. So God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and has sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John, he starts off the, um, that passage with saying, beloved, and he affirms them again to say, beloved. And he's writing this letter to Christians where there is false teaching happening. There is deception happening. People are turning away from the faith, but he wants to ground them in what they believe and something that is essential for them to be grounded in their faith is understanding that they are beloved. They are loved by God. You are the beloved of your Father. You are the beloved of an almighty God. And that is important for them to hear because there are people drifting away from the faith. And he says, for you to be grounded in your faith, you need to hear that you are beloved. So from this passage, I want to draw four things just around love. And the first one is love defined. Love defined. So what is love? The, the writer says, God is love. And this statement, God is love, is in direct contrast to a very popular statement in society that says, love is love. Now, when we say love is love, it suggests that love is self-defining, and it cannot be qualified, and it simply is. This would make love somehow self-existent and foundational, but it's almost like this, that Love is love, and love is what it is, and you do not get to question it. But that type of thinking, when we say love is love, it actually devalues what love is and what love wants to accomplish, because if love is love, love is what I want it to be. Love is what I feel it to be. Love is what I need it to be. So we can devalue love in order to justify getting something we want, but we can also devalue love in order to justify doing something we want to do. For example, and I've heard this before, as we are a campus movement, and we work with a lot of students, and then sometimes guys will say to the girls when they're in a committed relationship, if you love me, you will sleep with me. This is the way that you will confirm that you really do love me, that we will have sex. Or... Because we love each other, it's okay 
that we sleep together, even though we're not married. I love how this makes me feel, therefore it must be right. I don't love you anymore, so it's probably better for us to get divorced. I really love my job, so it's okay for me to sacrifice my family. I had a conversation with a guy, and we're busy journeying um, now together, but he fell into, and I say fell um, loosely, um, into a relationship with a married woman. So now we're having this conversation, and I'm allowing him to unpack all of this. And um, he has a Christian foundation in his life, and he says, how can something that feels so right be wrong? And then he made the statement and said that I love her. And I don't question that he deeply loves her. I don't question that he deeply cares for her. I don't question that he is deeply committed to her. And he said that he has never loved someone like this. He was divorced recently. He says, I didn't even love my previous wife the way that I love her. And I've never felt love like this. And if this is love, how can it then be wrong? So I asked him, this love that produces an action, is it bringing either of you closer to God or further away from God? And he said, no, it's definitely um, pulling them further away from God. There's guilt, there's shame, and they feel this disconnect between them and God. They're struggling to connect with God. So I said, okay. So if love produces an action that ultimately takes her away from God, is that good or bad? And he said, no, that's bad. So if it is bad, can it then truly be love? No. See, friends, love cannot simply be love. For love to be love, it needs to be measured against something. There needs to be a standard that love can be measured against so that we can say, yes, this is love. No, this is not love. The Bible says love, God is love. So love is not rooted in who you are, which is good news. Love is not rooted in what you do or what you have not done. Love is rooted in who God is, His character, His nature. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a good example. It says love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But that is not always our experience. You see, love, our hearts have been damaged sometimes by certain definitions of love. And now, even when we step into new relationships, they don't even have to be romantic. I've been disappointed by love in the past, so now I need to be careful with how much I bring to the table. I cannot be all in because when I'm all in, I risk getting hurt. I risk getting disappointed. And love always comes with risks. Always. But now I'm withholding parts of myself because I don't want to get hurt there again. But every part of me that I keep hidden, that I do not allow into that risky space of love, cannot be loved, and I cannot also give love from that space because I'm not making it known. But friends, there is a way for this type of love to be true in our lives. Because love is not love, God is love. Love can be a place where it never fails because God is love and God never fails. 
when we understand that God is the very root and source and definition of love, then this type of love is actually possible. So love defined. And we long to be loved like that. There's a, a problem. God set us up. He designed you with a need to be loved like that. And no other love will satisfy. No other love will ever be enough. Secondly, love is revealed. The scripture said that God revealed his love for us through sending his son. Now, that is a very powerful statement of love because we all have a need to be loved, um, even the men, all right? We have a need to be loved, but we live in a very strong works-based society. So works equals reward, and even when it comes to love, um, sometimes you might even, someone might say, I love you, and you'll ask, but why do you love me? And I have to give you the reasons as to why I love you. I love the way you speak to me. I love the way that you take care of me. I love the way that you are kind. I love the way that you make coffee for me in the morning. Whatever it might be, but there's all of these different reasons as to why I love you. But now the problem is that if my works are the validation of your love, then I need to be perfect then I need to keep working in order for you to love me, and then love is conditional to my works, and I'm not perfect. So if that's the requirement, then I will be set up to be disappointed. So now, what happens is, we start to hide parts of ourselves as well, because if you know all of me, if you know the depths of me, if you know some of the things I sometimes think about you, if all of that was laid bare, maybe you wouldn't love me that much. So I now start to hold back parts of me because I am afraid of losing love. But here comes God, who knows everything, who sees everything, nothing is hidden from him, and he is the only one who truly knows you fully. And here's another truth statement. You can only be loved to the extent that you are known. You can only be loved to the extent that you are known. So when I withhold parts of me, there's parts of me that cannot experience being loved. But God comes in who knows you fully, everything, nothing is hidden, the good, the bad, the ugly, all right? And God is love. He enters into our lives that are sometimes very complicated and messed up, and he knows you fully. And in knowing you fully, he doesn't withhold his love from you. He says, no, no, I am love, and I am going to reveal to you that I love you, I'm sending my son on your behalf. The one who knows you fully then reveals his love to you. And in this statement, he basically says, I see you and I love you. Maybe more accurately, I see you fully and I love you fully. In this, the love of God is revealed. And then from love being revealed, it's also perfected. The writer says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So there's a big word there, propitiation. You have to practice it um, because your tongue can get stuck to your mouth when you're preaching like Professor Ha. So propitiation, it basically means that Christ, through his sacrificial death, 
appeases the wrath of God on account of sin. So there's a wrath, an anger of God directed towards sin. Now, sin unfortunately lives inside of you and me, but there's an appeasing of the wrath of God that took place through Jesus' death on the cross. What happened on the cross is Jesus became the object of God's wrath so that you and I can become the object of his love. So that when God enters into our lives, it's not his judgment that is poured out over us. It is not him removing himself from us because he is holy, he is perfect, he is pure. No, because of what Christ has done, Jesus became the object of God's wrath so that you and I can be the object of his love. That God does not remove himself from us. Verse 17 says, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I want us to understand. He says that love is perfected in this way that we have confidence in the day of judgment. The Bible is very clear that one day every single one of us will stand before God and we will give an account of our lives. Every action, every thought, every intention, every motive, everything that is known, everything that is not known will be laid bare to the eyes of who, to whom we must give account. But then because of what Christ has done, you and I can stand there naked and not be fearful of judgment, not be fearful that love will reject us, not be fearful that love will cast us out because someone else became the propitiation for our sin. Someone else took my place. And he says, as he is, as Christ is, so are we in this world. The Son is the beloved of the Father. Friends, there is no disconnect between the Father and the Son. As the Son is presently seated in the heavenly places, fully loved by the Father, in full union and communion with the Father, as He is, so are we in this world. So being loved by that is not just for one day when we are in heaven with God eternally, it's for today. As He is, so are we in this world. You are the beloved of your Father because of Christ. That is good news. Amen? Now, this type of love changes us. To be loved like this not just gives you a motive to be a better person. It transforms you. It changes your heart. It deals with your identity. It speaks into your worth. It speaks into your value. It speaks into your sense of belonging. It deals with your insecurities. You do not want to be the person you used to be. But maybe even greater, you do not have to be the person you used to be. We don't have to hide parts of ourselves. We don't have to live in fear of rejection. And we don't have to live in a performance trying to earn God's love and His goodness. We sang that song that we get to live in the goodness of God. We get to stand in the goodness of God, not based on my works. And friends, we as a South African people, we grew up in a culture where everyone is Christian, but we're very much work-based in our Christianity. 
if I do good, then God will be good to me. And if I am not doing good, then I'm almost expecting God to be a little bit distant from me, and I need to press in and work my way back to be loved by God. No, 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 you get to stand and live in the goodness of God, in the love of God, because He chose it, not because you earned it, not because you deserve it, not because my life warrants it. None of us stands before the Father and say, Lord, I was a pretty good candidate to be saved, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm not that bad. No, 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 when you stand before God naked, there'll be fear in our hearts. We'll be at, um, at his mercy. But he says we get to have confidence in the day of judgment. His love says you are beloved. You are enough. You are safe. You are secure. And then finally, this type of love, as it changes us, it also demands from us a response. Love responds. Verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. We love. We as a church love because he first loved us. Now, how we love is vitally important, church. Love matters. The way we love matters. I want to read again from 1 John 4. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. God is love, but the opposite isn't true. Love isn't God. So whenever we say, oh no, but I love it, so it must be from God. No, no, that's not true. God is love. God is the standard and the definition of love. Does your love reflect and reveal the character and the nature of God? Then it might be coming from Him to be love. But if love is selfish, if it is self-driven, if it leads to sin, it's not God. It's not love. Whoever loves is of God. Whoever loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The way we love as a church matters because when we live loveless, it begs the question, are you born of God? Has the love of God been made manifest inside of you? Has the Spirit of God come alive inside of you and produced in you something which you were not? Only the love of God can do that. Only the love of God can transform your nature to make you something completely new. The way we love matters. Jesus says, I think it's in Matthew 14, that in the last days, there will be wars, there will be famines, there will be um, increase of crime and all of that. And it says, many will depart from the faith. The Bible is very clear. As we get closer to the return of Christ, many people will depart from the faith. They'll turn their back on Jesus. He says, many will depart from the faith and the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. As a church, we can be so overwhelmed by what's happening in the world that we stop loving one another and we, first have, we have a, a mentality of me first. I need to look after me first to make sure that I'm okay. And if I'm okay, I'll see what's le left for the rest of the world. The love of many will grow cold. The way we love matters. Jesus says, by our love for one another, by this body's love for each other, by the way that we take care of each other, by the way that we are willing to sacrifice for each other, by the way that we are willing to be committed to one another, by our love for one another, the world will know that we are truly His disciples. 
Friends, so often people don't want anything to do with Jesus because the church is loveless. By our love for one another, the world will see that there's something in, different inside of this body. What has caused you to be able to love in this way? It's not natural. It's radical because he loved us first. This type of love is not just a thing that Jesus says, I love this way, so you must love this way. No, we love from him. His love is manifested in us and then through us. In my marriage, I do not carry the weight of being perfect in order to love perfectly. Where the burden is on me to love my wife perfectly. I also do not place the burden on her so that she needs to perfect in order to pull out perfect love from me because that's also, both of us will be set up to be disappointed, right? No, 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 the love of God has been made perfect inside of me and now I get to love from his love. I do not love people because they look like me. I do not love people because they live where I live. I do not love people because they earn what I earn. I do not love people because they are nice to me. I do not love people because they deserve it. I also do not withhold love because people are just too different. I also do not withhold love because someone offended me. I also do not withhold love because I've been hurt. I also do not withhold love because according to me, they don't deserve it. No, I love because I've been loved first. And then as Christians who are in Christ, who are in his love, who have been made perfect by his love, for those who are in Christ, there is no other response but to love in the way that we have been loved. We love because he first loved us.